Wood, bro. Garage Logic Podcast. Nope. Nope. Start from the top. Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores brings you Garage Logic Podcast number 521, December 17th, 2020. 53 degrees on this day in 1939. Man, they had a warm autumn in 1939. 17 below on this day on two occasions, 1983 and 1985. And now, from the mayor's office, above the boathouse, on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production, Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media, John Hyde in the newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Souchere. Hi, everybody. Hey. Hello. I don't want to dwell on this, uh, but <clears throat> Rhode Island Governor Gina Raimondo, who was highly thought of by the likes of George Will, for example, she issued the typical lockdown orders in uh, Rhode Island and told everybody if they had to wear a mask. And, but she and her husband uh, go out to a wine bar, uh, and they don't, they don't wear masks. So. <laughs> Do they know something we don't, or are they just hypocrites? Hypocrites. I'm going, I'm going with that. Hypocrites. Yeah. There's a tremendous recall effort in California uh, to recall Gavin Newsom, and it looks like it might work. Hmm. Mayor, when I was a teenager, in order to drink a beer, we had to stand outside around a fire in the winter to circumvent the law. Now to legally drink beer, adults must stand around a fire in the winter. Life even gets stranger. <laughs> Craig, the GL pitmaster. Let me, let me address that. Let me address that. See if you guys can make sense of this, because it's a math thing and I'm struggling. So I'm serious. See if you guys can help me. All right. Uh, Chris writes, with all the recent discussion around the Alibi Bar in Lakeville, I just read the, in the news this morning that they will have their liquor license suspended for 60 days as a result of their decision to open yesterday. Whether you're for or against this, let me point out an interesting aspect of this punishment. One, under current executive orders, this establishment can only be open for to-go service, which would include to-go beer and wine, I believe. Number two, these executive orders are slated to end January 10th. So by my math, I'm an engineer, so you can rely on my results, the Alibi Bar would have their liquor license reinstated on Monday, Feb 15, thus resulting in roughly 30 days where they might be able to open for indoor service without a liquor license. So hypothetically speaking, this is really only a true punishment if restaurants and bars are able to open again for indoor service in mid-January. So I propose this question. Is this really a punishment for this business or a weak slap on the wrist by our leaders? I'm not sure I follow his reasoning. Staff, anyone? Well, I think uh, what he's saying is even though it's, is it 30 or 60? I forgot what you just said. 60. That they're probably not even going to be open anyway because Walls is just going to keep pushing the goalpost back. Mm -hmm. Right? Isn't, know, that, isn't that what he said? That's not what I got. Oh. I wrote down 60 days, December 16th, January 10th, February 15th. Right. And that's where my brain stopped working. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Joe. And then I, I thought, squirrel. <laughs> yeah, I tried. Or they're getting fat, by the way. Really? Squirrels are really getting fat. Yeah. Got a lot of time in your hands, huh, bro? Well, I've arranged to see them out my window here, along with my feathered friends. Gotcha. And uh, gotcha. the birds so, have not been around lately. 
So what he's saying, Such, is that under the 60-day punishment, they should be reopening February 15th. But if he would have obeyed the law, they would have opened January 10th. 18th. Right? 18th. I don't know what he's saying, but that's what I've come up with. Maybe he's saying the 60 days isn't much of a punishment if you're not going to be open anyway. That's, that's yeah, that's, I guess, what I... That's what I'm thinking. Oh, oh, so assuming assuming that this is just going to drag on right. and he won't be right. opening right. Uh, January 10th or February 15th. Right. Okay. I'm just glad that the uh, the attorney general of the state is really getting down to the heart of all the problems that plague the state of Minnesota. I'm just <laughs> no. I'm so proud of our attorney general. I mean, he's really he's really Chris, tackling the big issues. He's protecting us. Mm-hmm. He's protecting us because we cannot help ourselves. He is such a useless weasel. I'm sorry. Do you uh before I continue, yes, something sir. occurs to me. Yep. Uh, do you play the same game I play with Christmas cards that arrive at your house? I played the game called Who in the Hell is This? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I yeah, right, yeah. Kenny? Yeah, who in yeah. the hell is this? I, I and they send pictures of the kids and the pets, and I'm thinking, well, who in the hell is yeah, this? Yeah. And it has to be explained yeah. to me. Yeah. And then you go, oh, yeah, for a oh, million yeah. dollars, Joe, yeah. who's that? <laughs> and then the roommate, she complains that... Uh, the Christmas cards these days only include the pets and kids and not the adults, the people sending it. And that sets her off uh, in a tizzy because she wants to see the whole family. But I'm like you, Joe. It's like, I, you know, uh, who the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, honey, honey, who, who is this? <laughs> and then a question for you guys. The Christmas cards you guys do get in the mail, do they get hung up somewhere in the mantle oh, yeah. or oh, the yeah. buffet? Huh? No, yep. not in my on house. A, on a back door. They get taped to the back door. Kenny, yeah. um, it's so elaborate in uh, in my home that she purchased a Christmas card tree that wow. hangs up on my bleeping dining room wall. It's wow. It's the size of a Christmas tree. I have been severely criticized by the bride for years. Because I'll receive a Christmas card or a birthday card, get well, whatever, and I read it and look at it and go, huh, that's nice, and throw it away. (laughs) That is not what you're supposed to do with cards. (laughs) Right, no. In fact, um, a couple of years ago, we received one on accident from a couple that we did not know, and Jess sent one to them, assuming (laughs) they were people that I knew. (laughs) <laughs> You're making new friends, yeah. you know, come on. She said, well, I was just trying to be you, nice. Are you glad you opened up this Christmas card bag, Such? <laughs> no, let's move on. Hail the flashlight king. Hail you. Hail you. If you would deign to read my comments, please don't use my last name. Duluth is a small town. We work very hard to maintain a low profile. Call me Mariska from Madagascar. Nice. I have kept quiet since my missives to you in the early days of COVID and its attendant consequences. Although I have many deep thoughts on the subject, it is nine days until Christmas and I have cookies to frost and presents to wrap. As I attended to those tasks today, I was listening to the Monday podcast and could not contain my reaction here to your discussion regarding the lawlessness of business owners intending to defy the governor's edicts. Number one, the orders from the governor are not laws. A law is proposed, discussed, and voted upon by representatives of the people. The governor is issuing diktats, which have the unchallengeable orders, which have no basis in the law. <laughs> See, she even warned me. She said, it's a word. Look up. Stop the dum-dums from laughing. It's Tate's, isn't it? Yeah. 
That'd be it's nice. Dick tats. Dick hey, dick you guys want to see my new tattoo? <laughs> Which is a goes right above your belt line in your back. God, honest to God. I, okay, you know what? Just a minute here. Joe, just just dick tats, Joe. Dick tats. <laughs> Nope. I think we we might we might be starting over for the first time ever. You know, in fact, um, there was one where the guy thought it was Wendy, oh. and he says, "No man, it's called Welcome to Jamaica. Have a nice day." Dick tats. Nope. Oh. I don't get that. I don't know. Look that one up. I'll uh, I'll send you the joke. Dictate an order or decree imposed no, it's by it's dictate. Dictate. It's Tate. I, it's got, I dictate a message to you. <laughs> no, it's D I K T A T. Really? And it's got two yeah, little circles hold above on, the A. Hold on. Two little dots. Spell it again. D I K T A T. Let's see what the pronunciation is, uh, smart boy. Uh, she spelled it. Uh oh. No, she did. Oh. Dictat. Oh, Dictat. Okay. Dictat. So Thank we're you. all wrong. These are Dictats. <laughs> <laughs> I like it's a little not, salt on mine. You're, <laughs> you're laughing at a declarative sentence. She's got a great point to make. Can we get there without your buffoonery? Sorry. Let's do it. Yeah, well, let's do I, it. The orders from the governors are not laws. A law is proposed, discussed, and voted upon by representatives of the people. The governor is issuing diktats. Uh, where's the next part? Unchallengeable. <laughs> Unchallengeable orders which have no basis in law and are only enforceable if A, the electorate complies, and B, at the point of a gun or threat of punitive fines and or loss of licensure, another way the state controls its populace. Therefore, it is not lawlessness in the strictest sense to defy these orders. Number two, your comparison of business owners deciding to open their businesses to the insanity of the Seattle City Council proposing the abolition of prosecution for virtually all crime up to murder is ridiculous. Business owners are not seeking to harm others when they make the agonizing decision that civil disobedience against a tyrannical, capricious government order is preferable to losing their life's work and livelihoods. Left out of this discussion, as it has been for all of this year, is the idea that people have the free choice to go or not to go to any business. If you are afraid of getting COVID or you are at particular risk, then by all means stay home. <clears throat> Order in and let the rest of us live a somewhat normal life. But why should the, the small restaurants, bars, and clubs bear the brunt of a lockdown that larger establishments, Target, Walmart, Best Buy, Menards, name the big box retailer, gas station, casino, grocery store, etc., do not have to abide? Also left out of this discussion is the evidence of any actual case spread from these small businesses. I offer as a case in point the newest lockdown of restaurants in New York City. According to a report by ABC7 in New York, only 1.4% of COVID cases in New York City can be traced to restaurants, while 74% are attributed to private gatherings. Did you hear that the Venerable 21 Club, a fixture on the New York scene for more than 90 years, has been felled by this insanity? Short of sending stormtroopers into neighborhoods to bang on doors and count heads, and the digital version of this exists in Portland, where the mayor encouraged neighbors to report on suspected violators by using the neighborhood Facebook pages to turn in addresses with too many cars in front of them, how will our governor prevent grandma from coming over for Christmas? I shudder to ponder the next move in that direction. Good luck. 
In spite of my taking the mayor to task, I remain a loyal resident of Gumption County, beats the alternative. Uh, P.S. I'll stack my meatloaf up against Grunhofer's any day. Perhaps oh. one, boy, those are fighting words. Throw down. Perhaps, perhaps one day when the world, if it ever does again, returns to normalcy, GL could hold a meatloaf rally. I'd even drive wow. down there to enter. And that's wow. Mariska. That was a gal, right? That's Mariska okay. from Madagascar. Well, the one thing I disagree with her on is we have been talking about how it's not law, uh, and and we have been discussing. I think we actually, as a group, we've been discussing quite a bit the, uh, the, what she brought up about it's your choice. Let it be. Let the market sort itself out. Let them do business. Let them open up, and if people want to go, they can go. I think we we at GL have been discussing that a lot, and I think we all agree with her, don't we? Yes, before Rob Jacobs of Stillwater solves this for us all, uh, let me give you another thought I have. Wouldn't it be interesting if all of the people who went to Alibi yesterday provided each other their names and telephone numbers as an experiment, a, a social experiment? They're not in trouble for going there. Only the owner's in trouble. But wouldn't it be interesting if for all of those people to keep track of each other to see if anybody gets sick? That would be interesting. Uh, and did we bring it up yesterday that we felt the reason why it was elbow to elbow in there yesterday at noon or whatever it was was because everybody was there making a statement. Yes. And if Alibi had been open every single day, it certainly wouldn't have been that full. Of course not. That was and a political I, outpouring of, of support. That was a right. political outpouring of support. Right, and I believe it was this week that I brought up uh, the Cardinal and what is it, Northbound, Chris? Uh, uh, Northland, Northbound, 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 Northbound. Yep. Yeah, and how when we would pick up food there, they said, "Well, you may as well come in and eat because there's only three couples in here." You know, so people are making a conscious, or they were at the time making a conscious decision, you know, to eat out or to take out. Excuse me. Right. Right. Uh, here, let's solve it all. You've got now the full weight and fury of the Attorney General coming down on, on little mom pop bars and restaurants, right? There's mm -hmm. a letter to the editor in today's Pioneer Press. Minnesota Attorney General Ellison is bringing lawsuits against three small businesses for opening in spite of Governor Walz's questionable emergency orders, seeking as much as $25,000 per incident. Here's a better idea. Apply the same restorative justice process that was used to recommend that Michael Forcia, who toppled the statue of Columbus last June, causing $150,000 in damage, walk away with community service and no monetary responsibility. To be fair, the restorative justice discussion circles who recommended the penalty should include small business owners who understand the responsibility of making a payroll, paying vendors, and the need to support their families with money their businesses generate, a concept A.G. Ellison and Governor Walls are apparently unfamiliar with. Rob Jacobs Stillwater. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Apply restorative justice to the owner of Alibi and, and have community gatherings where they could explain to people what it's really like to own a business, meet a payroll, and provide for your family. You let this clown who kills the Columbus statue walk away with 100 hours of community service in which he is supposed to lecture people. How do you even know he's capable of lecturing? Maybe he is. I have no idea. Isn't that brilliant? You've got, you're chasing the hell out of a guy trying to make a living and feed his family, but we're going to let vandals go. 
It's interesting that, that these threats to the businesses are coming at a time when we're decriminalizing lawlessness. Mm. Yeah. Wow. The sad irony. Mm-hmm. There's, another, there's another interesting letter in today's St. Paul paper. If Governor Walls and all his Democratic supporters and judges were forced to give half of their tax-supported salary to the businesses that they shut down, I'd bet they find new science that would permit all these businesses to remain open. Another Stillwater writer, Gerald Eggramson. <laughs> Must be something in the water in Stillwater. You got some good thinking in Stillwater. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Huh? Yeah. yeah. Ain't that the truth? Mm. I want to revisit, because the thinking is so great, uh, you'll recall, I believe it was Monday, that uh, Dave Bliss from Bulgaria weighed in on uh, how people having to pay off student loans are being deprived of their liberty. And then another fellow, Jay Whitoff to Minneapolis, uh, weighed in and said, uh, not necessarily. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't behoove society to have uh, people in endless debt. And now Bliss is going to respond to Jay. And uh, I want to keep this going so long as the thinking is so great between these two. Oh, no, it's wonderful. Yeah, and so absolutely. civil. Yep. Joe, I'm not sure how much you want to keep going on this topic, but I thought I would respond just to get something ready because he emailed me a second part of this where he made a correction uh, in his last paragraph. You'll just bear with me a moment here. Sure. I can find that. Uh, got it. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure how much you want to keep going on this topic, but I thought I would respond to yesterday's letter and leave the choice up to you. I appreciate Mr. Whithoff's, I believe that was his name, counterpoints to my letter. It appears we are in complete agreement that the college tuition and student loan scam has gotten out of hand. This is indeed a problem. He even called it a protection racket. I love that way of thinking. It is along the lines of saying, pay us or else you can't succeed. Then just like the mob, you are stuck paying forever, and as a result, you can never succeed. He called this a swindle. I agree. Many people are getting swindled. Of course, one key factor in the scam is the threat one cannot succeed without a college education. Many people can and do succeed without a college education, sometimes wildly. Steve Jobs, Mike Dell, Ted Turner, Ellen DeGeneres, Mark Zuckerberg, and yes, even Kim Kardashian are just a few. Others succeed to a lesser extent like the guy who I paid handsomely to replace my water heater. He runs his own business and he certainly has more money than I do. In fact, he had enough to send his daughter to college. He used his freedom wisely and was paid well for it. This is the point where I differ from Jay. A college education is not necessary to succeed in life. It is necessary for certain positions, and sometimes those positions do not pay well. I can tell you that being a Bible teacher who lives in Bulgaria, that I'm not exactly rolling in dough, but those are the choices I made with my life. This is how I use my freedom, and I take responsibility for my choices. The point is, one can succeed without a college education. There are examples all around us. He also talked about making college free. This is simply not possible. The professors need to eat, so they need to be paid. Thus, college cannot be free. I believe what he was actually referring to was taxpayer-funded higher education. That really just means that we pay for it, rather than the individual making the choice to go to college. Thus, everyone pays college debt, not just the people who incurred it. 
Though in fairness, Jay did point out there would be a way to pay for this free college personally. People could serve in the government for two years. This system already exists. In fact, I mentioned that uh, in my letter. Some people serve in the military. He expanded service options to other areas, and that is something to consider. However, if you work for two years before going to college, then it is not free. In fact, this is exactly what a lot of us do to avoid college debt. Some do it for the government, and some chose other options in the private sector. They may even work in some of the industries he mentioned in his letter. There's, there, this is a legitimate way in which we can use our freedom to avoid college debt. The system he proposed already exists. I suppose we could change the system and make it entirely run by the government if we are convinced that the government can run things better than we can. The emailer's primary question to me was, what benefit directly results from having an entire class of people in essential occupations permanently saddled with inescapable debt? Debt is a serious problem. We are outspending ourselves. <clears throat> However, my counter question would be to ask, why are we limiting this to education? Many are saddled with decades of debt to buy a house. They need a home for survival. Should everyone get a government-provided home? How about a vehicle? If someone else was paying for my car or house, that would be great. It would also mean that I would care a lot less about things like oil changes and re-roofing the house. After all, I'm not paying for it. If you give people free stuff, they tend not to care about it. I live in a country that had such a system of government for 44 years. 31 years ago, they cast that system off because it was not working. They had free stuff. What they did not have was freedom. This was the point of my letter. Whenever the government takes money from one group to give to another, they take away responsibility, but they also take away freedom. Perhaps some would see college as an area of life in which we should remove freedom and responsibility. Now I'm supposed to go to his corrected paragraph. That's their opinion to have, but I would advise them to consider the choice carefully. We can pay our debts ourselves, or we can vote for people who will make government pay them for us. If we choose the latter, we will not have the burden of responsibility, but neither will we have the burden of freedom. Oh, this is great. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating debate. And, and Serve I think to you, Jay. Serve, service to Jay. Yeah. But I, I think they're closer together than, than yeah. uh, it might seem. Uh, Don wants to weigh in. Joe, you've had a, a few great emails in the past couple of days regarding higher education and the potential forgiveness of student debt. Mr. Bliss and Jay from Minneapolis both make valid points, but I think they have both touched upon but skirted the source of the issue, the failed academies and their exemption from dealing with the real world. Jay from Minneapolis stated how the quality of education and the value of it has decreased substantially. I can guarantee you that the Mysterians that are firmly embedded at the failed academies have not reacted to this decline. In fact, they have continued to increase their own wages without any consideration of what happens to students. They are on their own rail, those, those academicians. Must, yeah, they are. How does other businesses run when the price continues to go up and the quality and value of the service goes down? They don't. They go out of business. I don't believe the failed academy understands free markets and the potential impact of their actions, so the politicians are stepping in to save them from themselves. I believe that if the failed academy would continue down the road Jay outlined, providing less value and charging more intuition, that eventually the Americans who are burdened with debt would turn on the failed academies and demand change. Can you imagine what would happen in any other industry if this were permitted? Think about taking out a $30,000 loan for a car, and when it's driven off the lot, it becomes worthless. What would happen to the car industry? It would be pulled in front of Congress, and massive reforms would be in order. The left will not let this happen to the academy. 
Therefore, the American public will step up and once again pay this bill so this time some snowflake can get a degree in gender studies. The question we should be asking is, what value do we get for our dollar? It's like the most government-run programs, the yield will be very low and potentially negative. The Great Society cost us a bundle and only made things worse, according to smart people like Thomas Sowell and the late, great Walter Williams. With this type of program, we are making every college professor a government employee, once again creating their own rail. Pushing back, Bart from Green Bay. P.S. I was able to order a GL flag for my own Christmas gift this year. Thanks to Reaver's lack of foresight and the black market that is being created in GL, I think I can get at least twice what I paid for it. I'll probably keep it, but the free markets are a beautiful thing. Hey! Okay. One more. say ye, Chris. You're, yep. just, you're just, just smiling. I love that I get ripped for a decision that wasn't made by me. <laughs> well, better you than me. So do we. So do we, Chris. Thank you. Yeah. Hail the Flashlight King. Hail you. On your uh, December 15 show, you read an email countering Mr. David Bliss about free college and the loss of liberty. Well, yes, the emailer made great points that saddling the future workforce with inescapable debt is a terrible problem that needs a solution. You declared that both his and Mr. Bliss's statements were true. I feel it is my duty to inform the mayor that, in fact, no, only one is true, and that would be Bliss. Number one, free college isn't free. Someone still has to pay for it. I'm sure, I'm sure you've already come to the same conclusion. Number two, there are already several options for folks to get a free education. Scholarships, military service, hell, even inmates get free college classes. Three, perhaps the most important is this point. Every single child in this country already gets a free education called high school. I'll concede that, yes, most employers want or require an associate or bachelor's degree for most positions that pay above minimum wage and fall outside of the skilled trades. Most employers want candidates who have these because it shows you committed yourself both mentally and financially to make yourself the best candidate for their job. If we make access to college free to everyone, doesn't doesn't that make your associate's or bachelor's degree just a continuation of your high school education? My point being that if two or four years of education is now free, will employers, uh, will employers, what's to stop employers from wanting a master's or a doctorate degree? Do we make this free? Listen back to the comments you made directly after reading Dave Bliss's email. Stopping this unholy alliance between big government and big education is the only real solution to the problem. I'll leave you with the life advice my grandfather, who grew up during the Depression, gave to me. You have to work hard for everything you want in life, and if you're lucky, you might to get keep some of it. Pushing back, like I mean it, Chris in Belle Plaine. All right. Great, uh, great weighing yeah. in. Great weighing in. You know, and speaking of that, given that you know, all, mostly all universities are distance learning and everything's online right now, I, I'm wondering what the ramifications from all this are going to be long term. In other words, you know, is the average high school kid going to now say, well, pff, I don't even really need to go to college anymore. I mean, most will just solely based on the experience. But once they realize what a sham it is, unless you're going for something specialized, like you mentioned, I, I wonder long term how this is going to affect universities. Well, they're already suffering enrollment declines. Right, right. And as well they should. I I think, yes, I've often said college uh, is important if you have a specific, narrowly defined goal you want badly to achieve, then I think college is important. 
to go to college and get a degree in gender studies, you'll be lucky to get a job at Arby's. So who are you kidding? And you're going to be spending a lot of money for nothing. Now, is it Mariska from Madagascar up in Duluth? Yes. yes. She, she had the audacity, boys. She had the nerve to challenge Mr. Spencer Grunhofer's meatloaf. Oof. Boy, what a gauntlet she threw down. What a gauntlet she threw down. That's a bold lady. Man, oh man. <laughs> Grunhofer's Old Fashioned Meats in Hugo, where the uh, meatloaf goes flying off the shelves. A new meatloaf recipe is almost ready for its announcement. That's going to be the one that has the bacon in it, but I can't get too excited because the previous uh, information about this was released too early. Uh, but don't forget about Grunhofer's for Christmas, prime rib, steaks, you name it. All the brats, the salmon, the ham, the thick-cut bacon, the belly burger, the rookie burgers. Listen, it's endless. That's why GLers continue to flock there. It's right on Highway 61. Where else? Right at the north end of Hugo. Spencer's adding on. I, I continue to think maybe, uh, depending on the COVID situation, uh, it might be fun to have a, a gathering there next spring to help Spencer open up the new wing. This is uh, Grunhofer's. It's old-fashioned meat market. It's fantastic. It's on Highway 61, right at the north end of downtown Hugo. Well, here it is, Positive Thursday already, and that means one thing, more positive feedback regarding our pals at Schoonover Body Works and Glass on County E in Lexington in Shoreview. This time it's from GLR Howard, who writes... Road construction was really hard on the windshields of two of my vehicles this past summer, so I took the opportunity to get the windshields replaced in both of them. Because I listened to the podcast, I decided to take it to Schoonover. I can't say enough good things about my experience. Number one, I called on a Wednesday to get it going, and they were able to do the work on Friday. Two-day turnaround. Unbelievable. Number two, Nikki. I've never had a customer service person that uh, executed so well. Dealing with insurance companies is almost as fun as getting a root canal done with a pocket <laughs> knife. <laughs> but Nikki, Nikki made it easy, seamless, and most of all, painless. She facilitated a teleconference with me and the insurance company and worked to make uh, sure that all of the I's were dotted and squared away. She made it look easy, which is the mark of a pro. And then number three, Noah. Yes, that Noah. He gave me a ride home. I was going to edit this out, but it's too good. He, he gave me a ride home while my vehicle was being worked on. It's odd, but somehow Joe's name came up. Really fun conversation. And I was highly amused by how Joe is listed in his cell phone. He's listed as the flashlight king. <laughs> uh, number four, the work itself. Perfect and topped off with a car wash. If I ever need more body work, that'll be my first call. So uh, Mike Schoonover is on the line. Hi, Michael. Hey, guys. Sorry to uh, embarrass you. Thursday to you. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to embarrass you with that love letter, but we absolutely love it when GLers help out others. And that's why I want to ask you one more time to uh, tell us again about the 30 Bales gift card idea, because you had a really good idea, and uh, it's it sounds fun. Well, just simply put, we have $25 and $50 gift cards from 30 Bales, and, and uh, ironically, we have four or five GLers in the shop right now who are going to be able to take advantage of it. So, <laughs> wow. um, so yeah, so, I mean, if you need oil changed or tires or glass work or body work or whatever, you're going to get a 30 bales gift card 
and cool. uh, we'll make that happen. So that's that's uh, those are good guys over there, and we want to see those guys successful. So, well, it's all about uh, you know helping each other. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, can I can I give a quick plug to uh, to a friend across the street? Oh, uh, absolutely, across county, so, uh, across E. Yeah, across County Road, uh, Doug McCullough runs the uh, Wink and Rooster restaurant. Uh, he's there really early morning every day, and and uh, he too is is feeling the effects of all this stuff. And uh, uh, he's doubled down. He he actually got COVID earlier this this fall and had to shut down his business for a little bit. Whoa. But I was in there the other day, and he's remodeling his restaurant, uh, being positive of thinking that he's going to come out of this okay. So. Anyway, he's a good guy. He, he has really good food. It's called the Winkin Rooster right across the street from us. Perfect. Thank you, Mike. Well, bodywork, glass, general repair, oil, tires, 30 bales, gift cards, they do it all, and they've been doing it for 80 years. That's why Schoonovers is always rated as one of the top shops here in town. Thank you, GLers, for choosing SchoonoverBodyWorks.com. And, Mike, thank you for being a positive part of GL. You bet. 59 Reality with a bite. The Joe Shushere Show. Easy for me to say. It is easy for you to say, Mr. Big Voice Guy. And you know what's easy for me to say? What a revelation it's been on the discovery of our friends at Harmony Spirits. First and foremost, they wanted to thank all of you GLers for making them part of your rotation. HarmonySpirits.net is their website. Go online right now, register for that monthly subscription, or excuse me, that monthly newsletter, and then you are registered. Yeah, yeah for a free bottle of Harmony Spirits. They randomly select uh, one person each and every month to receive that free bottle. But here's what they would really ultimately like you to do. Go into your local liquor store, wherever you make your purchases, and ask for Harmony by name. That is how they are going to continue to grow and grow, and they have done so much because of you GLers this year, and they wanted me to thank you. Also, check out upcoming events and tastings on their Twitter account, which is at Harmony Spirits. Make your purchase. Let them know that you heard about it right here on the Garage Logic podcast. Here's John Height. Thanks, Joe. Uh, I was thinking Mariska had a diktat on meatloaf, right? Didn't she? Hold on. Uh, no, no, I don't think that's well, not even remotely close. Diktat. Well, I kind of diktat. Yeah, see, Tat. I, I kind of like tots with meatloaf. All right, Napoleon, give me now. some of your tots. That's not all <laughs> you like. Yeah, this news is brought to you by Fred Lodi's Ace Hardware and Garden Store. Sorry, Mike. Uh, I think I'm going to skip that first story. I think you should. The Minnesota National Guard is getting ready for a potentially massive and indefinite deployment early next year during the high-profile trial of the former four Minneapolis police officers tied to the death of George Floyd. Uh, that according uh, to an internal plan that was obtained by our buddies downstairs at 5 Eyewitness News. The 12-page warning order called Operation Safety Net outlines in great detail how the Guard will respond to anticipated civil unrest before, during, and after the trials of Derek Chauvin, J. Alexander Kuing, Thomas Lane, and Tao uh, Thao. Uh, the worst-case uh, scenario calls for all available Guard forces in the state to be activated for an indefinite a period of time. If activated, it would be an unprecedented commitment of time and resources on the heels of a record-setting year for citizen soldiers. Colonel Scott Rowader, who is in charge of executing the plans, agreed to talk about the Guard's role in the operation after learning that five investigates obtained a 
copy of the plans. He said it's very prudent on us to make sure we're planning for large-scale numbers and how we would activate units. Operation Safety Net involves multiple agencies around the Twin Cities. It's being orchestrated by the Minneapolis police, which started planning back in July, according to an MPD spokesman. Do you? Th- oh, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. May I add something about the going back to the fellow from Stillwater saying, instead of uh, pulling out your guns and banging on the doors of these restaurants, why don't you try restorative justice? Look what you did to this Forsea fellow who took down the Columbus statue. Well, let's add to that. He not only took the Columbus statue down, but he was in a group of people who weren't distanced and weren't wearing masks. Oh, good point. They weren't distanced and they weren't wearing masks. And they were chanting, and so their, their you know, molecules of, of liquid were flying out of their mouths. No, no Joe, you're forgetting one big key component here. You can get COVID if you're sitting at a bar or a restaurant, but you can't get it if you're peacefully protesting. Remember? Oh, okay. I, we I'm discovered sorry. that last I'm summer. Yeah. 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 Hey, back to that, by the way, John. Yeah. Uh, and I hate thinking this and, and making this prediction, but we'll, do you think we'll see a, a rise in uh, resignations before this trial from police? From police? Uh, I don't think. I mean, I think things will keep going as they have for the past few months where we might lose some officers yes i don't know you know i mean i hope not but yeah i uh, hope not too but would you want to deal with that i, well, I mean no i can't blame anybody that would would that would step down i'm, I'm i have a ray of hope for you uh, following the news and it's it's time that such a thing be acknowledged i'll explain when john's done with his okay. newscast uh, related to the riots, Boogaloo's Boys member Benjamin Teeter, who came to Minneapolis to take part in the rioting after George Floyd's death, has pleaded guilty to trying to sell weapons to Hamas, the designated terrorist organization. The 22-year-old Teeter faces up to 20 years in prison, no sentencing date set. He and another Boogaloo Boys member came here and met several times with people they thought represented Hamas, but who were actually federal agents. They tried to sell weaponry material that Teeter acknowledged in court he thought would be used by Hamas's military wing. A man died at Regents Hospital early Thursday morning after he called 911 to report he'd been shot while driving down University Avenue in St. Paul. Oh, great. According to the St. Paul Police Department, the man called 911 to help just before 10 o'clock Wednesday night from the southbound lanes of the intersection of University and Snelling Avenues. Officers got there and found the victim inside his Toyota Prius, suffering from an apparent gunshot wound to the chest. Officers rendered aid and called for St. Paul fire medics who rushed the man to Regents Hospital, where he died about two hours later. According to police, preliminary information indicates someone in another vehicle may have shot the victim. Members of the police department's homicide, forensic services, and video management units arrived on the scene, started collecting evidence, looking for video cameras that may have recorded the shooting, and interviewing witnesses. No arrests have been made. The man not yet identified, pending notification of relatives. Uh, Anyone who has any information is asked to call the St. Paul Police Department. And we don't know uh, if they knew each other. Is that correct? We do not know. I've seen no mention of whether this was a random act or if they knew each other. Yes. Some Minnesota school districts are meeting uh, Thursday today to talk about the next steps in getting students back in class. On Wednesday, Governor Walls said all elementary schools will be allowed to reopen for in-person learning starting January 18th if certain guidelines are followed. Some of those strategies, including providing and requiring staff to wear a face shield and mask and offering voluntary COVID-19 testing to educators, 
state education leaders say there will be some guidelines for students. I hate to go back to the <clears throat> University Avenue shooting story, but did you guys see the Alpha News piece on the Somali gang member? Oh, thank you. And yeah, I no, only I saw this not. because of the Reverend. The Reverend uh, retweeted this. But this is freaking maddening. I'm, yeah. I'm unaware of the story, A Chris. man who oh, police it's... say is a member of the Somali Outlaws gang and who was charged last year with several counts of attempted murder and other violent crimes, recently just received a plea bargain that will leave him free in under three and a half years. Wow. Well, how, yeah. how, are we, how is it supposed to be safe if, if we're not going to put these yeah, people guy, away? If you really delve into this guy, he's got a long, rich history of just the most brutal violence ever. He's just an awful, awful person that should be locked up for a long time. Meanwhile, let's put the owner of the Knack Hardware and Lounge out of business and bankrupt him. Right. Yep. <laughs> right. Uh, speaking of that story, uh, you talked about it earlier too, Joe. Wednesday night, the Department of Public Safety, Alcohol, and Gambling Enforcement Division said two bars and grills, one in Lakeville and one in Princeton, are having their liquor licenses suspended for violating COVID-19 restrictions. Alibi Drinkery and Neighbors on the Rum intentionally opened and violated Governor Wall's executive order. As a result, the business's liquor licenses are being suspended for 60 days pending a hearing before an administrative law judge. Uh, further violations by the businesses could lead to five-year suspensions of the licenses. The two are among those named by a coalition which recently claimed more than 150 businesses were opening in defiance of the governor's order. However, Attorney General Keith Ellison said 40% of those businesses listed can already operate legally and aren't violating the order. And some, he said, are anonymous. About 20 others have contacted his office, he said, to show they're still complying with the law. Additionally, local law enforcement visited several businesses on the list on Wednesday and found them to be closed. Mariska from Madagascar up in Duluth. She has uh, pulled the curtain away from my eyes. The, the component here, the essential component <clears throat> that's under attack by diktats, which is not a funny word, the essential component that's under attack is personal freedom, by which I mean, if alibis open, I don't have to go there. And I probably wouldn't. But if somebody else wants to, that should be their decision. If, if the governor has felt that he has schooled the state well enough about the potential dangers of gathering indoors in crowds, a lot of these places that open probably would not do a big business. But they'd be open to the people who would choose to take part in that business. End of story. Yeah. But instead, um, we're going to let Farhan Musa Ibrahim uh, free after three years. I, Kenny, I just went into the history. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's awful. Joe, this guy is an awful, awful person. Joe, listen to this. February 10th, 2009, Ibrahim was charged with three counts of second-degree attempted murder for an incident that occurred uh, in early February. February 19th, which is nine days later. In another incident, uh, Ibrahim was charged in an afternoon drive-by shooting in the Cedar Riverside neighborhood that injured one person. And uh, oh, where's the date of the other one? But th th that's just three examples. Right, and it, it's a list a mile long. Wow, I, I, I'm in shock. I cannot believe this. John. 
Congressional leaders and their staffs continued working out the details of a nearly $900 billion coronavirus relief plan in anticipation of unveiling it as soon as this afternoon. People briefed on the negotiations say the draft of the proposal includes $600 in payments for individuals, $300 per week in supplemental unemployment insurance payments and aid for small businesses, as well as about $17 billion for airlines. But it does uh, omit aid to state and local governments and lawsuit liability protection, the two issues that have stymied earlier attempts at an agreement. Mackenzie Scott, author, philanthropist, and uh, most importantly to this story, former wife of Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, announced Tuesday in a blog that she gave away $4.1 billion in the last four months to 384 organizations, and that includes $25 million to six based here in Minnesota. She says it's part of her pledge to give away a majority of her wealth in her lifetime. Uh, biggest one she gave, uh, not the biggest one, but one of the larger ones, she gave $3 million to the St. Paul YWCA. There were five other grantees in Minnesota, include Casa de Esperanza in St. Paul. They work with Latin communities to end gender-based violence. Community Reinvestment Fund USA, a national community development financial institution based in Minneapolis. The Greater Minnesota Housing Fund, the state's largest nonprofit lender for affordable housing. The Duluth Area Family YMCA and the YMCA of the North. Uh, of the Twin Cities. Well, her. that's fantastic. As long mm-hmm. as she's not bailing criminals and Antifa members out of jail, uh, sounds like all those organizations uh, are wonderful. If I had $65 billion, I'd keep a billion and give away 64 and I would devote my life to how carefully and where I would choose to place the $64 billion. Uh, we don't know that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't need more than a billion, believe me. You what are you going to do with a billion? Well, you want me to give away more, huh? I'm worth $65 billion. I say I'll give away 64 and you're already bitching at me. Yeah, I am. You know, <laughs> kind, of a, kind of a lefty thing there, Kenny. What's wrong with you? Keep about 250 mil. That's all yeah. you need. You're not going to be here forever. You can't take it with you. Yeah. All right, Kenny, never mind. You I was set up, set up your kids. That's Joe, what you need to do. Yeah. But Joe, you need to you set so up. selfish? Yeah. You need to set up your kids in the manner that they need to keep working. You know what Kenny just did to you, Joe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> female, you know what he did? He female fund limitation factor. Uh, you know what? Uh, I apologize, Joe. You don't need that from me when you get it so much at home. I'm sorry, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> Big storm out east. By early Thursday morning, a lot of areas across central and northern Pennsylvania had picked up one to two feet of snow with flakes continuing to fly around Binghamton, New York. Snow totals already had exceeded three feet. New York City, more snow has fallen with this storm than fell in all of last winter. The storm is responsible for a deadly accident along a stretch of I-80 in Pennsylvania. Thundersnow was reported in central portions of the state. The storm, however, is a fast-moving one. That's a good thing uh, because it's uh, uh, not bringing as much snow, although the snow rate, two to four inches per hour in uh, parts of all those states. A lot of problems with power outages in Virginia, freezing rain and sleet weighing down utility lines. The National Weather Service issued winter storm watches and warnings across numerous states spanning from North Carolina to Maine ahead of the storm. I believe it was Reavers who was asking, when did we start naming winter storms? And I think the answer is the Weather Channel took that upon themselves in Uh, 2013, there being no reason to even have a Weather Channel unless you're going to do things like name storms. Because I was looking for the... uh 
What was the the field reporter for the the Weather Channel? Because he called it a thunder a thunder. Mike snow. Cantori, something like that. Is that who it was? Stood in Chicago and he was getting blasted with the thunder oh, snow. Oh, yeah, and he did this. Yeah. yeah. Holy smoke! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a clip on Twitter today of a, a gal reporter out east getting hit by a stop sign that flies through the what? air at her. Oh, yeah, wow. she's okay. She's okay, my, but it uh, the stop sign has apparently ripped off the thing. Uh, my favorite is still the uh, my favorite is still the guy uh, pretending he's being blown against the wind. <laughs> yeah. In the background, two guys are walking along eating Twinkies, and one of them was in yeah. shorts. Right. right. Yeah. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> or the uh, what was the other one that rookie? There's fought? another one with a woman in a canoe uh, paddling and saying, "Oh, it's just dreadful." And behind her, two guys are walking along in the water, right. which is about ankle deep. <laughs> right. And what was the? Uh, there was a sandstorm one that rookie found where the guys oh, yeah, where the guys throwing sand. <laughs> He's yeah. kicking it at him yeah. like, "Oh, yeah. look at how bad it is." <laughs> Days after several U.S. agencies confirmed their networks were compromised in a massive data breach, federal officials say they're still struggling to understand the scope of the damage highlighting the sophistication and breadth of what they're calling it on uh, what they're calling an ongoing hacking campaign that's been tied to Russia. House and Senate Intelligence Committee aides received a phone briefing on the hack from administration officials on Wednesday, uh, although the full extent of the breach remains unclear. While relevant agencies continue to investigate, the cybersecurity firm FireEye disclosed that the malicious software contains a kill switch that can be used to shut it down. But even after de uh, deactivating the malware, there's a chance that affected systems might remain accessible to attackers. Former Trump administration Homeland Security Advisor Thomas Bossert says the hack has done irreparable damage to areas of the U.S. government. And although the scope's not known, he said it should be treated as if the Russians have acquired every bit of knowledge available from the hacks. Hmm. A few months ago, a company called Capella Space launched a satellite capable of, get this, taking clear radar images anywhere in the world, even through the walls of some buildings. Oh, boy. But unlike most of the huge array of surveillance and observational satellites orbiting the Earth, its satellite Capella 2 can snap a clear picture during night or day, rain or shine. CEO Payam Banazade says it turns out that half the world is in nighttime. When you combine these two together, about 75% of Earth at any time is going to be cloudy, nighttime, or both. It's invisible to you, and that portion is moving around. But apparently this new satellite would solve that problem. Uh, Capella mm. can peer straight through mm. cloud cover and see just as well in the daylight as in the uh. darkness. Because of optical imaging, it uses synthetic aperture radar, or SAR. John did... Uh where was it last night? Did it? Uh, it didn't see what was going on. Oh, it, it was watching you. Uh, but you know who's the smartest one and who's got the last laugh with that story, John? Who? Angie, with that mirror-balled helmet, man. They ain't catching him oh, doing nothing. No, no, no. I'll reflect back. Here's some good news. Pharmacists have found a way to squeeze extra doses out of those vials of Pfizer's vaccine against COVID-19, potentially expanding the nation's scarce supply by up to 40%. Food and Drug Administration said late Wednesday those extra doses could be used, clearing up confusion that had caused some pharmacists to throw away a leftover vaccine for fear of violating rules that the agency set last week. The Pfizer vials of the COVID-19 vaccine are supposed to hold five doses, but pharmacists have found they have enough for a sixth 
and even a seventh dose in each vial. You shake it like a ketchup bottle? There's a pound on the bottom? <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Putting those into use could significantly increase the U.S.'s scarce early supply of the shot, reducing the likelihood of what the experts call a vaccine cliff this spring as demand outpaces supply. Manufacturers do usually overfill vaccine vials to safeguard against any spills and any waste, but a University of Utah pharmacy expert Aaron Fox says it's pretty unusual to have this much left over, but it does seem to be there. Many pharmacists left confused without federal clarity threw away hundreds of extra doses since the vaccinations began on Monday. In Utah, Dr. Fox said pharmacists are advised to stick to the FDA emergency use deadlines, uh, guidelines, excuse me, which dictate that there are five doses. Yeah, uh, what about the chill factor here, too? Uh, the Pfizer, is it the Pfizer one that doesn't have to be as cold? Uh, no, that's no, the, it's the Pfizer is one. the one that's cold. It's cold, yeah, it's the Moderna one. Uh, well, I don't think they're they're taking that one dose that's left over, Kenny, and putting it back into the cold. I think they're probably using it right away. Don't you think? You don't know. You'd use all six at once, I, I would assume. Oh, Not at so once, he, but, you oh, know. yeah. You know, grab no, that I bottle. This grab that weird. bottle, you use six doses. Grab the next bottle, use six doses. Grab yeah. the next bottle. I'm this very comfortable. I'm very comfortable You make waiting. a nice living? You make a living? <laughs> I'm comfortable. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I, I'm very comfortable waiting to get a Fist vaccine. Bump, Chris. Boom. Well, it doesn't matter if you're comfortable or not. We're, we're all going to wait a while. Right. It's, I mean, it's there are literally, you can, literally so many people more than the most of us needed. Kenny, right. since I can't play the actual uh, button, you were asking about the chill factor. All I need are some tasty waves, a cool buzz, and I'm fine. You are chill, my friend. <laughs> a worker at a resort in Indonesia has reportedly been savaged by a Komodo dragon. The 46-year-old worker, named as Elias Agas, was working at what's called the Jurassic Park Resort. that's currently under construction in Rinka Island. According to reports, the reptile tore several parts of his body before the man was rushed off to the hospital. Uh, this resort has sparked some controversy. Wait a minute. Wait, an actual? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What? Wow. They're not fictitious. No, thank you. I realized that. I, I didn't realize that a theme park could get away with that. The resort has sparked controversy, giving its home to around 1,000 of the remaining 3,000 Komodo dragons around the world. Wow. Uh, they're the largest reptiles in the world. Komodo dragons can grow to almost 10 feet in length and oh. weigh up to 200 pounds. Oh. The bite of the dragon can be fatal if not treated quickly. I would imagine. According to witnesses of the attack, the lizard had gotten only a few feet away from them before it struck. Last year, there were talks of banning tourists from visiting the island in a bid to protect the species. However, Indonesia scrapped the plans and said they would instead limit visitor numbers and raise entry prices to create a premium destination what what purpose do they serve do, uh, are they eating bugs uh, eating mosquitoes eating flies uh, my, my, the real sure. question i'm asking here is why don't we just get rid of them well Let's, they got to be more important than ticks yeah but do they eat ticks my, my I, question I is know. joe can we just kill them let's yeah. just get rid of them yeah. johnny yeah. thank you sure i, I want to read something for you <laughs> fellas what happened? What no, did I do now? Nothing. 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 Good Lord. It was an abrupt end to the news. Uh, goodbye. Just, just hit the thing. Just double clutched and slammed her in the lull. <laughs> hey, GLers, it's Reavers here once again for Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, and he has a question for you. 
Do you know what you own? Well, Mr. Money Talks clients, well, they do know what they own. You see, Josh has found that most people that he meets with every day, they don't know. He has seen retirement portfolios that have a big percentage in bonds. And there are real instances of people paying more in commissions and fees than they can possibly make on the rate of return that these bonds currently yield. So know what you own. And later today, here in Garage Logic, Mr. Money Talks got some great news as it relates to one of his favorite companies that's relating to fruit? Question mark? Trust is often overused and it's even harder to find. So please take it from me that you can trust Josh. Give him a call today for that free 48 minute financial consultation. Yes, it's free. Give him a call today at 952 925 5608. That's 952 925 5608. Investment advisor services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a registered advisor in the state of Minnesota. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. University of Garage Logic 98, College of Self Esteem, Zip, Nada, Nothing. Here's Joe Suchere. Say, Ray and Welter Heating and Air Conditioning want to remind you to support your local restaurants. They are going through a hard year. We all know that, and the holiday season is usually one of their busiest times. But their doors are closed, and they are trying to save all the business that they can by offering great takeout food. So it would be nice if you could support places like. Pittsburgh Blue Steakhouse in both Maple Grove, Edina, and Rochester. Tongue-in-cheek over in St. Paul. Jersey's Bar and Grill in Evergrove Heights. Uh, you can't support Alibi in down in Lakeville right now, thanks to Keith Ellison. But you know what? There's a lot of restaurants out there that could need uh, that need your help, and anything that you can do would be greatly appreciated. And thanks again to Ray and Welter Heating and Air Conditioning for sponsoring this drive to support these great establishments. And if you have any heating needs this holiday season, check them out online at welterheating.com. I have been uniformly critical of city council people all across the country. Particularly, so. Well, particularly this summer, it intensified. And what I tend to forget is that there are decent souls doing decent work. Last Sunday, I wrote a column uh, essentially criticizing this effort by the St. Paul City Council, basically just two members of the City Council, uh, uh, Mitra Jalali and, uh, oh, help me, the other one. She's a Hmong, Jersey Nelson, Yassi Yassi. Uh, I apologize for forgetting her name. But, and I said, they said, we're having conversations about reducing the police force. And the point that I wrote is, well, who's having these conversations except you? There's nobody I know in the neighborhoods of St. Paul who are wishing for fewer police officers on right, the street. Right. In any event, I got a nice response from Jane Prince. She represents the 7th Ward in St. Paul. Committed, lefty, no doubt about it, but one of those lefties you can sit around all day with and shoot the breeze. She, has, previous, she has previously written me, and if I, I think probably I'd have to check, but I think she's probably the only city council person who has ever written me in, in 46 years of doing this. And I've talked to her previously. She's not quite my age, but she's getting there. Uh, so she's got the, some of the wisdom of seasoning. She's been around a while. And she, she wrote, uh, uh, regarding this column I wrote last Sunday, Joe, I appreciated your perspective. 
And to your suggest, and to your question, have you ever been stopped by a stranger to have a conversation about having fewer police on the streets? Actually, I asked that question last year when I was door knocking for re-election to the city council, and the answer to that question from about, from diverse constituents was a consistent no. So she agreed with me. Okay. In any event, it's fair to say that most of the council and the mayor are supportive of our police department under Chief Axtell's inspired leadership. However, suffice it to say that the chief does not get enough recognition for the work he has done, along with his predecessors of the past couple of decades, to innovate and reform our department. Chief Axtell's three priorities when he was sworn in in 2016 were to hire a department that reflects the diversity of the city, to create the community engagement unit with civilian liaisons to work with our diverse communities, and I'll get this part, and to get guns off the street. He has achieved the first two, and on the third, more, not fewer officers, are needed to effectively combat the proliferation of gun violence we are seeing in St. Paul. Well, here, here, lady. One of the worst decisions of 2020 as a deficit reduction strategy was to call off the annual police academy, where we train new cops to hire up to our sworn strength. The recruits that would have comprised that class are the students that have been handpicked and trained through the department's Law Enforcement Career Path Academy. Created by the chief with no taxpayer dollars, these students, all young people of diverse backgrounds, serve for two years as AmeriCorps volunteers with the St. Paul Police Department Community Engagement Unit while they earn their Law Enforcement Associates degree. Now those amazing students who have volunteered and trained with our department in every neighborhood in St. Paul are being snapped up by our surrounding communities as police officers. For my colleagues who talk about community-first public safety, those young recruits are the embodiment of it. Add to that, the mayor increased the attrition amount to the department budget from $1.7 million to $3.8 million. This means the department needs to realize $3.8 million in retirement savings prior to hiring an academy in 2021. With, with the department down nearly 20 officers right now, it's safe to say that we'll, we will be down by at least 40 officers prior to an academy being hired. Note, it takes nearly a year after an officer is hired before they are eligible for solo patrol. We will be down significantly going into the busiest months of 2021. Finally, St. Paul simply has the best police department in the U.S., our department is a national and international model for its community outreach and stabilization team where mental health professionals are already embedded within our department to respond to calls requiring that approach. SPPD is known for its exceptional training focus that includes ethical policing is courageous annual implicit bias and moral courage training and our chief is rewriting our entire use of force force policy with the community input when we think about reimagining law enforcement we're, we'd be trying to invent chief axdell if we didn't already have him it's time that we recognize that the sppd is renowned for leadership it is a model department that while taking responsibility for its shortcomings is constantly seeking to innovate and improve jane prince ward seven council member well, here, here. Yep. Wow. That was balanced and reasonable, and a woman you can you can talk all day with, and and no one's going to come away the the poorer for it. I miss those days. <laughs> what she's saying, and I don't want to ever get her in trouble, but what what she's saying between the lines is, look, uh, most of us on the council are are entirely in favor of our, of our police department. In fact, we're proud of it, 
But we have young and possibly too exuberant members who, when they see police, they only see it through that one corrupted national lens where the police are the evil perpetrators. And she said that is, again, I'm reading between her lines, that is not what's happening in St. Paul. That is absolutely not the police force in St. Paul. And uh, uh, she also admitted that, that Democrats have a tough time uh, applauding police work, and she said that's a place we have to get to. So here, here to Jane Prince. Yeah. 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 Uh, have you guys seen the story uh, about San Francisco? They're changing school names. Is this no. the Lincolndale? The Abraham Lincoln story? No. Uh, there's a com- what? A com- I had this in my news. There's a committee there that is looking into changing school names. And somehow they decided, the chairman wrote a thing, uh, the chairman of that committee is named Jeremiah Jeffries, uh, and there's an Abraham Lincoln High School. Uh, and they're recommending a change of name. Uh, and do you want to know why? Yeah, I do. He said, the history of Lincoln and Native Americans is complicated, not nearly as well known as that of civil war and slavery. Lincoln, like the presidents before him and most after, did not show through policy or rhetoric that black lives ever mattered to them outside of human capital and as casualties of wealth building. What do you call the Civil War? Hold on. Is groin kick this guy. This is a this is an educator that said that. Uh, John, he's a t- teacher, yes, a member of the committee. <laughs> first grade, it, first grade teacher. Is this in reference to what went down in Mankato? Uh, yeah, part of it is has to do yes with the uh, the hanging of the uh, members of the Sioux tribe, but uh, then bringing in the the Black Lives Matter. Uh, give me the uh, uh, give me the name, John, again, absurd. so I can give him the proper uh, introduction. Jeremiah. Yep. Jeffries. That deserves this. Wow. Ouch. We're in real trouble. Now, now, as I understand it, he's trying to do some backtracking on this story I saw yesterday. He said, well, I, did. I didn't mean that uh, he didn't, uh, the people of color. That no, you're an uh, idiot and didn't know yeah. the history. That's what, oh, my God. Well, how can you not know that history? Right. I mean, I'm a dummy and I even know that. The Emancipation Proclamation, and, you know. 38 uh, Dakota Indians were executed by hanging in Mankato yes. in 1862. Uh, the list that was submitted to Abraham Lincoln, if I remember right, w- went into the hundreds. It was in the hundreds, yes. And Lincoln, at the time, I mean, remember the date, 1862, he, he's up to his eyeballs in Civil War stuff. And the reason he couldn't really do anything, he was hamstrung by the fact that he needed every single available body to fight the Civil War. And he read this whole list and went through them at all and and basically caved in on these 38. And I believe he was wrong uh, about a few of them, too. Correct. Um, From what I've read, anyway, yes. But, you know, as guilty as he may be for those 38, he saved hundreds. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the 38 were killing white people. They were, but for damn good reason, as it turns out. Well, yes, yes, no, wait, wait, wait a second. They did kill <laughs> innocent white people. That you know, But it all comes down to the Indian agent. He was the real bastard who wouldn't give them what the government had promised them. You know, he's the guy that said, let them eat grass. 
And when they found his dead body, his mouth was, you know, stuffed full of grass, so he got his. But it was all in retaliation for uh, the United States government not giving them what we had promised and then not giving a damn that they were starving. And, and again, it wasn't the elders of the tri tribe. It was a couple of young guys. And, and once it started, it, it you know, it steamrolled. Mm-hmm. It, it was an ugly. It was an ugly thing for both sides. There's no. There's no denying that. You know? Three hundred and three, Kenny, is the number yeah, that he it was, was originally just given. Awful, awful, awful uh, for for all involved. Mm -hmm. um, not to change the subject, but I had tweeted something out in regards to that news story I, I mentioned earlier about that Somali uh, outlaw gang member. That's. Mm -hmm. So I tweeted out that, you know, thank God Keith Ellison is getting to the bottom of the real problems that plague our state by shutting down restaurants. I got a note here uh, in reply to that from a guy named Seymour, who I know listens to the show. The Mission Tavern up in Merrifield, which is, I believe, just north of Brainerd, west of Gull Lake, or excuse me, east of Gull Lake, they were fined, I have the letter right here, they were fined $10,000 for protesting the shutdown by giving away free pizza and beverages. They weren't even open. They were giving stuff away, and they were fined. What are he's we doing? Not, he's not doing our bidding. He he is not working no. for us. He is. What are we he's doing? A zealot. Ellison is a zealot. This is not what we want. Ten thousand dollars. But you can destroy a hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of a Columbus statue and walk away. Uh, yeah. Wow. Seattle politician who defunded the police called 911 to protect her from a crime she wants to legalize. <laughs> wow. Wait a minute. You'll all know her. That's from the onion. It's You'll all know her because she's in the fight for the soul of Seattle. A Seattle City Councilwoman. Yep. A Seattle oh. City Councilwoman called the police to her home Friday to report a crime she is effectively trying to legalize. Lisa Herbold phoned authorities on Friday after a man reportedly threw a rock through her living room window. My Northwest reported. The councilwoman said she was on the west side of the living room near the kitchen when she heard a loud noise that sounded like a gunshot and dove into the kitchen, dove into the kitchen for cover, according to a redacted police report obtained by the publication. A neighbor told police that a person who is unathletic and a bad runner was seen leaving the area. <laughs> The witness told officers that he would recognize the suspect if he saw him again, but declined an officer's business card to contact him for follow-up. The irony is that under a proposal introduced by Herbold, the suspect could avoid criminal charges if caught. Under the legislation, charges against most misdemeanor suspects could be dismissed if they can show symptoms of mental illness or addiction, or if they can prove that crime uh, provided for a need to survive the so-called poverty defense. And this woman with a she has a ring through her nose, I guess, so she can be more easily led around in the salon. She's the one who's, uh, <laughs> she's the one who uh, is is authoring this. Yeah. Wow. Herbold said she would like a jury to hear a defendant's reason for committing the crime. It's it's giving people an opportunity to tell the stories and giving judges and juries the opportunity to hear those stories and make a decision based on the values of our city. Herbold told the city council's public safety committee. In a statement to Fox News, Herbold said local news reports of her trying to legalize crimes are incorrect. 
There are no crimes that I am effectively pushing to make legal, she said. Well, you're full of BS, lady. Yeah, it's a situation true. where you looked at through that. You're, it's a situation where you took that sandwich because you were hungry and you were trying to meet your basic need of satisfying your hungry. We as the community will know that we should not punish that. Uh, it's a green light for crime, said Scott Lindsay, a former mayoral public safety advisor, the news station reported. If you are engaged in 100 different misdemeanors that are in our criminal justice system code, you are not going to be held liable. You are not going to be held accountable. Crime in Seattle has steadily increased since the summer's Capitol Hill occupied zone protests, which saw a 525 spike in crime, according to Democratic Mayor Jenny Durkin. The spike comes as the Seattle Police Department is seeing an exodus of officers and a shortage of funding because this people like this uh, Linda Herbold, Elisa Herbold, has voted to defund the police, only to need to call them uh, for a crime committed, which she would forget willing to be forgiven in the first place they're 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 just they can't link they can't do anything they can't link they can't function uh so joe uh you reminded me of a conversation i was having with you know our guy jim ks95 uh he was roaming the hallway the other day and he and i were shooting the breeze for a little bit do you know what he told me and i I I don't don't think he's gonna be mad if i share this publicly he lives in a very nice area in northeast minneapolis uh close to target field and um, he said that the complex, the, the the condo complex that he lives in, they had to put up padding inside of the elevator because so many people are moving out that they're marking up the walls and whatnot. He said they they're just they're they're putting it up in the elevators and in the hallways because so many people are leaving his building. Mm-hmm. That that's the kind of mass exodus that's going on in that neighborhood right now, and wow. I don't blame a single person that's doing that. Wow. No. From now until Christmas. Yeah. You, you, GLers, you can get an additional 200 bucks off the year-end sale prices already posted on all Bintelli scooters and e-bikes at EcoFun Motorsports in downtown Forest Lake on Highway 61. Popstar and Rockstar Fat Tire Electric Bikes at the lowest price ever, $12.99. And that's where I have to begin my new search with a fat tire model because my thin tire model was stolen. Mention GL and we'll include a Garage Logic podcast sticker for your garage wall with every bike or scooter sold while our supply lasts. <laughs> Don't worry about the supply. I can get you a sticker. I'll get you a sticker. Great Yamaha clothing on sale, 20% off through Christmas. Uh, great youth recreational equipment for Christmas, youth snowmobiles and youth ATVs, all those great gas-powered scooters that turn every errand into an adventure. Uh, it's just, it just absolutely been the uh, go-to destination for recreational equipment. Full line of Yamaha motorcycles, clothing, apparel, great service department. It's, uh, it's a family operation. Tim Bloom and his daughter, Kaylin, is the uh, one of the nationally recognized experts on Bintelli e-bikes. And right now, you GLers, just in time. You got way you got through Christmas to get an additional two hundred dollars off the year end sale prices already posted on those Bintelli products. EcoFun Motorsports on Highway sixty one in downtown Forest Lake. Fighting the demagogues of diversity. It's Joe Suzerain.
let's go here. Uh, many, many emailers wanted me to point out that uh, in our bail discussion, we we never once said you're innocent until proven guilty. Bail does not mean that you're that you're guilty. If we conveyed that impression, uh, we didn't intend to. Wait, I don't. Wait, what now? I did. I did. Uh, bail, bail, uh, does, bail is just a has nothing to do with guilt or innocence. And, and if we didn't make that clear, I apologize. We were just astonished that there are now 19 new crimes for which bail will not be requested. So was that particular emailer rejecting that we were a what? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, no, it does make sense. It makes perfect sense. We, yeah. it, what he say, Chris, you're innocent until proven guilty in right. a court of law. Right. But I'm. What's going on in my brain is five O rolls up on a domestic uh, situation where uh, the guy's beating the bleep out of the girl. They haul. Uh, they haul the jackass off to jail. He walks out right away. That's where I have a problem. Innocent till proven guilty, my ass. The police walked in on him, right. laying hands, throwing, throwing hands at the gal. And, and now her life is in jeopardy. And not I, don't think, I, I don't think domestic assault is one of the 19. Well, but, oh, but Joe, but Joe, it was? It yes. Was? And yeah. even look at just because a guy's going to face a day in court, we just saw it with this story of this Somalian gang member. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter with these judges in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to let you yeah, walk anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I don't give a rat's ass about the innocent until proven guilty. We need the bail system. We absolutely need it. Ray of Hope, hail the flashlight king. Hail Hail you. you. As a former Minnesotan, it saddens me to watch the decline of the Metro Corps. I know your dauber might be down, so I thought I'd give you a ray of hope. This week, all three of my daughters participated in the annual school Christmas concert. Yes, it is billed as a Christmas concert, not not a holiday festival. Some of the musical selections were popular type songs, but some were also what be considered hymns. There were no protests and no outraged parents. People were encouraged to social distance, and the audience was asked to limit their attendance to four people per family. It was exactly what you'd expect. The middle school band was slightly dissonant, and their choir a little quiet. The high schoolers had more <laughs> panache, uh, resulting from their age and maturity. Kids giggled when they missed notes or played the wrong one, and the music directors were able to show off their aggregated accomplishments. I believe I live in GL. We still have Christmas concerts. I've attached a photo of the program for verification's sake, Mike, in South Dakota, and it's the Duell Middle School Band and Chorus Christmas Concert. Which which side of the Dakota was that from? South. uh, South Dakota. Reavers side. The Reavers side. Yep. Uh, As anyone in the news business knows, if it bleeds, it leads. Referring, of course, to the fact that bad news in media always gets more attention than good news. This got me thinking about the constant focus on the bad news regarding the coronavirus and the constant reports of death. When is a credible news source going to report on the survival rates of the numbers of people recovering from the virus? With early diagnosis and better treatments, this information is probably very positive and uplifting. Why is the data not being reported in the media? Just a thought, Gary in California. I don't know. He's right. You're left to do the math. The math, mm-hmm. uh, like like I said the other day, right on the bottom left side of the front page of the Star Tribune. You can see the rundown for worldwide U.S. and here in Minnesota. And they give us cases and they give us deaths, but they do not give us survival. 
So you have to kind of guess and do well. The given given the millions of cases, wouldn't you think the, survi- the survival rate's extraordinary? Well, it's, oh, it is. It's yeah, ninety it what ninety eight something. Yeah, 98 no point something. Yeah, did we do that off the air where we were trying to? I was trying to get the percentage rate of the people that that survived the corona. Here, let me, we were having such difficulty adding. Yes, we did it off the air. Okay, thank goodness. Let's not bring it on the air. It was, it was a disaster. Uh, Paul uh, well, Allen, I, who Reavers still had alive yesterday, did we mention this today? No, not yet. Off the uh, air, we did. Uh, Paul Paul Allen died two years ago. Right. That's yeah, not bad. Close enough. Because I, 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 I thought I saw him uh, at a Seahawks game recently, but uh, that, that apparently is not the case. I thought I heard him on the fan the other day. That's a different Paul D- Allen. Different Paul Allen, Kitty. Oh. Uh, one, uh, if I may, uh, Joe. It was great here. hearing Bill Dahlman's thoughts on the show. Is my, is my mic on? Yeah, I, I can hear you. <laughs> Unfortunately, it felt as if he was talking about the Twin Cities. One statement really caught my attention: the Seattle City Council is running an experiment with our money. That is so true, and that's exactly how to describe what the City Council in Minneapolis is doing. And St. Paul isn't far behind. We all know what an experiment is, but here's the official definition. A course of action tentatively adopted without being sure of the eventual outcome. Okay. And Reavers asked when we started naming winter storms. Uh, it instills fear, for, which is great for news ratings. It's very similar to when a guy shot Cecil the lion. Uh, I think you were the first and only one to say it. It wouldn't be a story if the lion didn't have a name. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, and, if if uh, I may interject Sure, now. Johnny. <laughs> I just wanted to correct Kenny because I know other people will. Domestics are not part of the list. But was it though? So. I didn't think so. Uh, well, there's well, nothing. Can you name them? Yeah, a fifth degree sale, possession of narcotics, theft under 35 grand, theft of a motor vehicle, forgery, damage to property, fraudulent ID of dri- uh, or driver's license, possession of burglary, theft tools, identity theft, mail theft, possession of stolen or counterfeit check, possession of shoplifting gear, dishonored check, insurance fraud, fourth degree sale or possession of narcotics, counterfeiting currency, sales of simulated controlled substances, wrongfully obtaining public assistance, lottery fraud, and wrongfully obtaining unemployment Jeez. benefits. What orifice did I pull that BS out of? I don't know. I I apologize. Thanks, John. I'm glad you're on it. Sure. From uh, Kelsey. uh, Below are the two sentences in the article to put my fears to rest as to his knowledge of the transportation world. Uh, uh, Kelsey is uh, talking about Pete Buttigieg has been uh, plucked by Joe Biden to be the head of the Department of Transportation. And you're wondering, you you might be wondering to yourself, what makes Putin Buttigieg uh, qualified to head up the Department of Transportation? Yeah. Well, Buttigieg said that he was a transportation enthusiast, citing his love of riding on Amtrak trains, <laughs> studying while traveling on a cargo ship, and proposing to his husband Chasten at the Chicago O'Hare Airport. Don't let anybody tell you that O'Hare is not romantic, he said. <laughs> so, so that's just wow. Okay, well, all of us have studied on a cargo ship, haven't we? Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> all right, I'm I'm attempting to do this, and I think I have it right. So just I read a book on a pontoon. Does that count? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. According to the World Health Organization, they have a running tally. Ready? Yeah. Ready. Glo- globally, as of 5:05 p.m. CET, uh, <laughs> December 20th, December 17th, 2020, 
there have been a reported 72,851,747 confirmed cases of COVID-19, of which 1,643,339 deaths, to which I find is 2.25573%. Does that answer your question? I think so. I'll take that. Okay. Because I'm not going to do the math. Two, two, just under 2.3%. Here come the emails. Good luck, Chris. Well, I, I did that only because we would have we received a bunch of emails with those numbers. So that's why I figured I'd throw that in there. Only because they come to us all the way from Mumbai, Mumbai. India. India. From Tom Lyman. In 1942, on this day, the Elizabeth Kenny Institute for the Treatment of Infantile Paralysis is dedicated in Minneapolis. Sister Kenny, an Australian nurse, came to the U.S. to promote her ideas about treating polio using physical therapy and hot packs rather than the traditional method of complete immobilization. Her work with a patient, Henry Haverstock Jr., in his Minneapolis home brought her techniques increasing attention. Kenny would be the first woman other than a first lady to be declared the most admired woman in a Gallup poll, and Congress would grant her free access to the United States without a passport, a rare honor. She died in Australia on November 30, 1952. Huh. And it was on this day in 1966 that Richard C. Lillyhigh, brother of C. Walton Lillyhigh, and William Kelly of the University of Minnesota, Hospitals performed the world's first successful kidney and pancreas transplant, 1966. Mm. How's that for this day in history, huh? If you were eligible, Joe, would you have uh, volunteered for the first ever kidney transplant in 1960? Or would you have wanted a couple to go through? Well, I'd I'd like to have maybe the fifth guy to have Sure, and make sure everything's all good. Yeah, I got you. Joe, I don't know if you have this email from Jordy, uh, but you guys are familiar with the Elf on the Shelf uh, deal around this time of the year yeah, we got one up there i find it every day yep <laughs> well it's not really meant for you <laughs> no but i can find it I, and i show him where it is and i say why can't why you're not as fast as i am are you uh jordy sends this in from our friends at the babylon b there's a Innocent new little girls and you're just needling oh, yeah. the bleep out of them every... i got a dollar that says i can find it quicker than both of you boom <laughs> there it is right there <laughs> uh there's a new greta on the shelf doll that's going to track your climate sins <laughs> That from our friends at the Babylon Bee. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Jordy. That's fantastic. Up on the shelf. Yeah. I'm going to go back upstairs and play the game, who the hell is this, when I bring in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) Who that? Who the hell is this? Right. Right. Okay. Is that going to do it? Do you have to tear off the little address labels, you know, so that you can send them a card back? I'm not, I'm not in charge of that, John. I'm not in charge of that. That's a different department at that. That's, uh, not my, uh, that's not my department. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's do that. That's going to do it. Uh, hey. 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 All this month, by the way, don't forget that you can win a Garage Logic flag just simply by listening to us with the Pod MN app. Download it on your Apple and Android device today. You can also subscribe to GL on YouTube. GLers, we have a goal to get to around 5,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel, and only you can help us get there. Just search Garage Logic on YouTube or find the link to our channel at garagelogic.com. And also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find all those links also on the website at garagelogic.com. We'll chat with you tomorrow.
His name is Josh Arnold. Mr. Money Talk is on the line with us right now, and you should give him a call today for that free 48-minute consultation at 952-925-5608. Josh has been doing this a long time. He is always going to give you straight talk. He's never going to give you sugar-coated advice. He's on the line with us right now. Josh, we've got big news in the world of technology relating to Apple, don't we, today? Big news relating to my favorite fruit company, Apple, <laughs> which is leading the Dow up $4 a share, trading at $126 a share just $10 under its all-time high reached just after a 4 to 1 split earlier this fall. Apple did not announce, but one of the trackers of Apple, the Nikkei News, found that Apple planning on manufacturing 96 million phones in the first half of next year, which is 30% higher than what they had manufactured this year over the same period of time. Demand for the new Apple 12, and there are four models, is exceeding I do believe even Apple's expectations. Apple at one time generated the bulk of their revenues from their phone sales and still many analysts look at Apple as a phone company, not a more diversified company. Currently, almost half of Apple's revenues are coming from their services and small device side, not just their phones. Their services business continues to ramp up and if it were separated out from their hardware business would be a S&P 200 company just on you know revenues alone that's apple does remain say my favorite company and i see a potential for got a price target on apple at 200 dollars a share don't know whether that's going to be within the next year or over the next 18 months risks of course to apple and other large technology companies such as amazon remain in my view political indeed uh, the european union is throwing out some more rules aimed at curtailing a large technology company. I still do not believe that they are monopolies because you do have a choice of other products and services. That being said, a great say not only a stocking stuffer, the holiday present would be an Apple device. One other thing, because I know, Chris, you're into fitness. Absolutely. Apple's new fitness app. You do need to have an iWatch for is going to be a huge winner and generate some nice subscription revenue to Apple. And unfortunately, these fitness apps, whether it's from Apple or you get a Peloton or Echelon or other applications that are there for home fitness have taken a big acceleration and a move away from people going to the gym during this during this pandemic. And I'll just call it a government mandated recession. And that's the kind of focused approach that you're going to get each and every time that you speak with Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold. Do it today. Give him a call for that free 48-minute financial consultation at 952-925-5608. That's 952-925-5608. Straight talk, never sugar-coated advice. Mr. Money Talk, thanks for the time. We'll chat again in a couple of days. Look forward to it. Investment advisor services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a registered advisor in the state of Minnesota. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk.